0: Welcome to Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. And this week, I'm here with staff writer, Rosalind Bentley. Welcome.
2: Thank you, Shane. Happy to be back.
0: And uh, this time, uh, you've brought us something um, that's kind of for kids, I guess.
2: Yeah, it is. It's for kids, kind of maybe for big kids, too. Right. But it's especially aimed at children. Mm -hmm. I got the opportunity to talk to Atlanta author, McCall, Renee Rowe, and she has written a new book called Happy Hair. It is aimed at African-American girls, mm-hmm. and it's getting quite a bit of conversation going around the topic. It's a picture book, so you would think it's a picture book. book right. But the content is really pretty interesting, I would say.
0: Right. Right. So it's basically about natural hair, right? And and sort of a a self esteem thing, I guess.
2: Ooh, Shane, <laughs> I think
0: you've read that book. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right, Shane. It is. Um, what the book deals with. It was born out of. Let's no. Let's start there. It was born out of McCall's experiences having natural hair. Mm-hmm both as a young woman who was moving from high school to college, but then especially what she met once she went into the professional realm. Right. She came up along the time of, you know, Jill Scott being popular and Erica Badu being popular, which was kind of breaking open that natural mm-hmm. hair world in professional settings, let's say. Right. So, just the reactions that she sometimes got from coworkers who otherwise were lovely people, nice people, they were curious, but their curiosity sometimes made her feel a bit, if not othered, certainly not quite as at home. So she mm-hmm. thought, you know what, let me explore this because I see some roots in this that go all the way back to when I was little. So right. thus we have her book, right? Happy Hair.
0: So so I guess, well, in addition to a uh, a tool for boosting the self-esteem of young girls, it can also be used to teach other people, you know, about this very thing.
2: Absolutely right. That is absolutely right. The way she has constructed it, I mean, it's she likes to say it's almost a um, call and response book. Not a lot of text, mm-hmm. but um, at all, really. But you have these images of different hairstyles that are associated and worn by african-american women if not african women too throughout the diaspora so you might have some with someone with a big afro you might have someone with braids Mm -hmm. you might have someone who has kind of blown her hair out and so it you know it's kind of wavy and you know ethereal uh you might have someone with cornrows but each image is a representation of what African American hair can do, and so this could be, if a person is unfamiliar with African American hair, could be almost a good jumping-off point to say, you know, what I think I want to get this and take a peek at it.
0: Right. Well, that's great. I I, I love something that can, you know maybe aimed it at, at at one group of people, but that it's it's also a great learning tool for people who aren't that that demographic.
2: Exactly, exactly right, and so I think that is um, something that has come up now that the book is out and has been picked up by Random House, Mm -hmm. which just released it toward the end of last month, which was October, and so um, she is going to have an event this coming Sunday, November 10th, Mm -hmm. at Little Shop of Stories Bookstore in Decatur. Right. Think the event yeah, it's at two PM. Right. And so these are the sorts of questions that she'll field after she reads that book.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, and that's uh it's right downtown in Decatur on the square there. Uh, great little shop uh, for kids books. It's 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 a really cool little spot if you haven't stopped there. It's a great shop. So mm-hmm. but that's that's great. So so you spoke with, with uh the author um, covering, you know the origins of this and, and all of that stuff. And then, mm-hmm. uh, so that's what we're going to hear today, right?
2: Absolutely.
0: And so she's
2: pretty forthcoming. So I would say you should stay tuned.
0: All right. Well, thanks so much for bringing this to us, Ross.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me, Shane. And I hope that people will enjoy what McCall has to say and maybe learn a little something. Welcome back to Access Atlanta Podcast, and we're here with author of Happy Hair, McCall Renee Rowe. And some of you may have seen our story on her book, which has just been released by Random House Children's Books, and it is a celebration of African-American hair for little girls. And so we wanted to bring McCall in so she can tell us a little bit more about it in advance of her event. Which is coming up this coming Sunday at Little Shop of Stories in Decatur. And so, welcome, McCall. Thank you, Rosalind. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure for you to have you here. So, let's just talk a little bit about I know you and I have spoken before, but let's talk a bit about the genesis of the book because you could have gone in maybe many different directions, but you decided to tell this story through a picture book. Mm. So,
1: I thought um, there's the design principle um, called KISS. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Keep It Simple, Stupid. (laughs) (laughs) uh, When I was thinking about getting that message out, I wanted to um, really put an impression on a very, very young audience, but still be impactful on an older audience. And so a picture book seemed like the most... um, just the best way to get the message out there, and it's especially for young children. And given my background in the children's clothing company, um, simple, clean, clear, and to the point is usually the best way to deliver a message to a child. And um, creating the book, it just made sense. It you know, since I did that on a daily basis in my job creating children's clo- clothes at the time.
2: Well. Talk to us then about mm-hmm. the book itself, because yeah. if you are African American, and I would imagine even if you're not African American, mm-hmm. and at least you're curious mm-hmm. about someone else, curious about someone who is different from you, mm-hmm. can you just please, please talk about the book? Because
1: yeah. so it so it's several images of different hairstyles I thought were very significant, um, but still just just the peppering the very top tier of hairstyles african-american kids can do and there's a lot of you know history when it comes to hair there's a lot of trauma when it comes to hair and there's still it was still happening i saw in schools um where kids were um being banned from schools because of their hair styles and expelled and such so the book um It's colorful, it's fun, Um, it has banging bantu knots, it has um, locks, it was very important that I put locks in there um, just to start to break down the stigma of the many different hairstyles our hair can go through. Um, And when um, I created the art and I kind of put it all together, um, I just really wanted a child to be able to look at those images and say the words along with the images. So it's sort of an uh, out loud affirmation book that you can read with um, whoever's reading with you. Like it's a call and response book. Um, I did that on purpose too, because I believe words are powerful. And if you're saying them out loud about yourself, uh, you begin to believe them. So um, the hair matched with the positive affirmation slightly poem really just kind of came together. And, um, yeah, the book is just—I want it to be fun, too. Yeah. I wanted it to be fun and easy and not just—it's a serious topic, you know, and you don't—I didn't necessarily want to go, like, in this serious art. And our hair is always— painted in a serious light I think there's like strict uh, repercussions if you don't follow certain rules in some areas and to kind of flip it on its head and make it bright and airy and fun and fresh like it belongs in a little girl's hand you know and for the boy book a little boy's hand um yeah well talk to
2: us a little bit about your own hair and your own hair journey. Um, You are African-American, I'm Mm African-American. You have cornrows right now. I have Mm -hmm. Mm braids, not braids, listen to that. I have dreadlocks. (laughs) (laughs) It's
1: because of my hair. See, I know, I
2: know, I know, I have dreads. Mm -hmm. But can you talk about your own personal hair journey? Sure, we're going to
1: open up the vault for that one. (laughs) Let's go. Let's go. Um, So when I was a little girl, my mom kept her her hair. It was her hair, as she would joke. We really couldn't touch it. She braided it, combed it, and um, it got fairly long. And I'd say when I was, like, in third grade maybe, you know, the new trend was perming your hair, having, like, different cuts. I desperately wanted that. You know, you kind of want to fit in with the cool girls in school. Um, So I remember begging my mom, can I get a perm? And um, the night I was supposed to get a perm, I thought it was the same way as washing your hair, because we would always dip our hair in the water first and prepare it for our mom before she came in. And so the night I was supposed to get the perm, she was like, what did you do? This is a dry process. So the week after that, I got my perm and I was just sort of traumatized, honestly, to see a little bit later, not immediately, probably a year later my hair start to break off. Because my hair was pretty long at the time, and I would actually get bullied for the length of it when I was a little girl. Um, So fast forward, I mean, that was probably the initial understanding of my hair.
2: And for listeners who don't understand why you might have been bullied Mm -hmm. for having longer hair, can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, I still go back and forth on that. I th- I was usually accused of having extensions, hair extensions. And this is like little fourth graders, third graders in the hallway saying, uh, that's not your hair. Like, you know, it's really super petty. Um, so I think it was this idea around African-American hair that our hair can't grow and it cannot be long without a form of extension within our hair. Yeah. So I think it was just kids bullying. I mean, our, it, and this it was this perception that our hair cannot grow um your hair is beautiful, beautiful long locks. You know, it's this. Thank you. And I've noticed when our hair is in a natural straight uh, state, it grows like wildfire. You know, it just it's inhibited and it kind of it becomes a part of us. And so when you add all those chemicals which perm, we all know the horrors of perm and um Chris Rock had that wonderful movie um Good hair? Yes, good hair. So we all saw what happened to that soda can or that aluminum can, and that was we were literally putting, like, flesh-eating kind of chemicals on our hair for the purpose of it being straight. And that psychology, that psyche, you know what I mean? If we really just take a step back and just think about that, that's like, wow. So kind of fast forward, I'd had a perm for a while, and in high school— my hair barely came past my, like, neck, barely, um, when it was straightened. So there was, you know, the whole movement of Jill Scott, Lauryn Hill. It was just a whole new energy of music, and I was in awe um, of that type of music. And my boyfriend at the time was, you know, a a rapper, and he would— listen to Talib Kweli and just, I just wanted to be a part of that. So I remember thinking, questioning, that's when I really seriously began to question why I had a perm. And, you know, why did my hair, you know, just scab up if he itched it too, or scratched it too much and just all the uncomfortable bits. So after that period with my boyfriend at the time, I wanted to go natural. And so this is in St. Louis, Missouri, so red line city, um, and there was that energy of perm is best at the time. Because there's a whole
2: history yeah. around African Americans having to straighten yeah. our hair as this idea that straight hair is more acceptable in spaces where you are around a lot of white people. Mm-hmm. yeah, And that has some ties. Things have changed, mm-hmm. but... I think there's a history there mm-hmm. that some people may not be aware of mm-hmm. as to why African American women may then put chemicals in their hair uh, to straighten it.
1: Absolutely, I think this idea—just to speaking what you said, this idea of being presentable and this idea of um, being professional and staying out of trouble—and when you look a certain way, you kind of you're in less trouble and. You want to give as many personal indications um, to white people in those environments that, hey, I'm not a threat. You know, I'm I'm easygoing. You can pass over me. And I think about that particularly when it comes to being pulled over by the police. You know, um, African-American girls have a higher rate of being suspended in some areas and same with boys. So you you do a lot to yourself. your psyche and your physical features to blend in fit in um so and at st louis i feel like i personally lived in the melting pot it was considered the melting pot it was a high percentage of um, jewish communities um asian communities um black in this particular part U city st louis missouri so i was pretty fortunate i think if you came moved more towards the city there was a stark contrast so um just that idea of just going back to the idea of just the transitioning in your hair um, i think that was the moment where i was starting to break from that ideology while i was living in st louis i was getting ready to go to college and um, I took a year off before I went to college to uh, work. And I got the big chop for the first time with the intentions of growing my hair out with a fro. But there were so few products on the market. Excuse me. Um, Explain to our yeah.
2: listeners what the big chop is. Oh, yes.
1: I mean, I forget. I just it's so natural that. I. I so the big chop is when you cut off all of your permed hair. Um, I did it in the process of. Um, growing out my natural hair for a little bit through braids. I had my neighbor braid my hair up, and I kept it in for an ungodly amount of time uh, for about three months of braids. So if anyone, if you've had braids and you don't know this, and you keep them in for too long, they begin to lock up and mat. And um, I was okay with that because I wasn't going to keep the hair that was matting. So... um, I still washed my hair (laughs) it was still clean Mm -hmm, but um, mm -hmm. it was just an easier way to keep it contained as it grew and and plus I didn't want I uh, some fear around the big chop is that you know your beauty is in the length of your hair as well and that was a big fear for women you know not we don't want to appear masculine, you know. Although there have been very cute, cool styles with short hair, that still there's stigma, like I said, within our own community when it comes to hair. So I got the big chop finally, and then I, um, you know, I realized very quickly that there weren't enough products to maintain my hair, um, keep it moisturized, and. Just there weren't there was a lot of limitations immediately that I learned, and there weren't a lot of products out there. So I went to um, a beauty salon, and she locked up my hair. So that was like the best way to maintain it. How uh, did
2: people respond to you once you cut off your hair?
1: <laughs> You're opening up a can. Um, so in St. Louis, in particular, and I, I I I reference that a lot. We I lived the a couple counties over from Ferguson, so there's that just energy. Um, I was told literally by a very close friend of mine who said, you're an embarrassment, what are you doing? Yeah, it was very stark. Um, Some people thought it was really cute because it was different, you know? I had really itty bitty coils of the lock beginning, the beginnings of locks is when they're super small and coiled with beeswax. That was the only thing we could use. And yeah, some people were like, what are you doing? Some people were like, you don't have the head for that. You know, there's a lot to take into account. Um, uh, And, yeah, one of my friends said that to me. And also it was expensive when you're about to go off to college and keep it maintained. Um, There were some rough days because I wasn't sure how to take care of it on my own. So there's a lot of just this huge learning curve that you really don't think about at the time. Now there's way more information. So I go off to college and um, I'm debating whether I should go back to a fro, but it's like it's not really um, feasible. There's still not a lot of products. By that time, I think there was one other besides beeswax. where There was like Pantene Pro-V had something out and it was just really just really uncomfortable on my hair. So, um, I grew up my locks, um, slowly and surely I figured out how to do it myself. There were a lot more options when I moved down here to Atlanta for natural hair salons. Um, and there are a lot more now everywhere, but I found myself just, uh, learning a little bit more studying, you know, this was the home of, you know, Andre 3000 and Erica. So they, you know, There was some, there was educational material down here, so.
2: What made you decide you had all of these experiences? You come to Atlanta, things become a bit easier, and I'm imagining you see yourself reflected with other black women with natural hair. Mm -hmm. So what then made you decide to pivot to say, you know, I need to talk about this journey,
1: but I want to talk about it to kids. Mm-hmm. So it, it honestly was the experience of working in a mostly white office. And those two experiences of growing up, not really having representations of myself, and um, learning about my hair uh, in its natural state. I knew how to take care of it of perms as much as you could take care of it. So when I moved here and then I got hired to my job. Um, I was a children's wear designer um, here in Atlanta, Georgia, right before I graduated, so I was still in college. And that experience, I think, of understanding, again, how I need to fit in um, into a work environment that didn't represent me, this new learning curve. I didn't realize that those two journeys mirrored each other. They were paralleled. And I didn't make the connection that they belong together, sort of this idea of representation, until I was a children's wear designer and artist only drawing little girls that didn't look like me. I drew tons and tons of little girls with blonde flowy hair. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I was very familiar with it. Um, And it was only maybe I was at the company for about eight years in, and I was like, maybe seven years in. I was like, well, let me see if I can sneak in a little black girl. And so I drew a little black girl where all the production teams affectionately called her Coco. And they were like, let's see if she can get in. Yeah. So at the time, we always named all of our girls. So it it didn't seem as offensive. But now looking back, you know, <laughs> 2020 could be very like, OK. But, you know, they kind of joked, they were saying, maybe it won't go through the meetings because it was a heavy process to get your art approved. You had several, maybe five to six meetings. But what was funny about the little black girl I drew, everyone, you could tell they were afraid to say, I don't like that, doll, that girl. Or, you know, it was, there was a, they're usually really critical about art in these meetings. And there's like, oh, move the, Add a bow. Add more color. You know, there you'd be surprised how uh, detailed you can go into clothing art for children's clothing. Um, when we got to this little girl, Coco, they said nothing, which was, you know, quite the like. Oh, okay, so it got through, and we were happy about it. But I was thinking, why are you afraid to say critique her? Is it because you're thinking this is probably the first black girl I've seen? On clothing, you know, the, I, there was a lot of things going through my mind, mm-hmm. and it was a subtle way to kind of bring up the the thing that had been nagging me about this company that we didn't draw little black girls at the time.
2: How did you draw
1: her hair? Oh, in a or two. I think it was two puffs, it, because I made the hair into felt or in, um, terry cloth. So when you draw the art, you have to think about the fabric. It'll go on the clothes. So. Uh, Yes, yeah, it was two puffs because the the surface area allowed for the terry cloth to be applicated. Two Afro puffs. Yes, two Afro puffs. Yes, yes, she was a little cutie. And I saved that, and I think I lost it in a move, but that was one piece of art I definitely want to save. I'm sure I can find an archive if I ask someone. So that got through um, with no no problems, but I still was thinking they— They didn't say a lot, which was uncharacteristic, but that said a lot to me, that they didn't say a lot. Um, So just during that process of just um, not there not being a lot of other black women there, black people, there were a few black people there in the art community, but just this idea of, again, I need to blend in. There was really kind of a typical type of girl that was hired there, and um, I know I needed to keep my head down and do my work um and when I I got promoted there like at least five times which was great so I learned a lot um and my hair was not a hindrance I'm fortunate enough to say that at the time I my locks had grown to the middle of my back um but I did get a lot of questions about it people often ask me you know are they braids <laughs> and um are is that your real hair that was a big one too because I have thick hair and when you know it gets into locks it kind of doubles in volume um and then also with uh more black women joining the company so by the time I was towards the end um it was probably two other black women in my position as well and um one other one had natural hair too so it was becoming more popular within the city this is was around like 2010 um and you start to see a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Did you then
2: just start drawing on drawing these other images on the side, you know, to 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 show these styles? What made you decide, okay, I'm gonna do a book?
1: Okay, yeah. So I, I'll say this too. I, I I didn't mention this in our written interview. I created a little magazine before this book. I was like, I'm gonna be a um, I'm gonna create the first kind of teen magazine geared towards black girls and then I saw all the amount of other resources you need to kind of create that and um, so I'd already had this idea I'd been playing with for a while Um, and then being at uh, the job I was at at the time as a children's wear designer I um, just the amount of tears I would see of Models, because we would make mood boards to present before we did the line. And the girl, we would pull like fashion little girls from Paris and different parts of the world. I did not see any black girls, maybe once or twice. And I also designed boys and the same for boys. It was just sparse. And I remember another black designer, when we did find a black girl, we would, like, pin it on our board. Like, that would be—with a cute little fro, we just loved it. So having that idea of just not seeing a lot, and then um, I would um, see—then I would go to these events. I was starting to go to those events on the weekend. And then thinking of my own experiences as a child, I would start to draw and create—create— the the book. I think it all sort of came together. Also Obama was in office, so like my mind was blown. I think everybody's I don't I, I think we forget about the impact of seeing the initial phase of like no, it's not going to happen and then seeing him. It, it it began I began to think anything is possible and um and you
2: self-published this. Though. Yes,
1: I did. I did self-publish. And also after going to an event um, and I, and I, this is what I specifically mentioned in the article. It was just a triggering event. Um, it was a trade show at the World Natural Hair Show, and um, it was just amazing. By the time, I had long locks, so I was doing a lot more hair modeling there, too. And I would go to the different, sneak into other rooms and their events. And they would do big chops, like different salons, or new... Um, hair companies would have like hair tutorials and they would teach women how to do their hair, but then they'd always have like the big event of a someone, a virgin, a virgin natural, get her hair cut off, all of her perm. And it, it, the energy in that room, everybody supporting her, um, it was just electrifying. And I just remember being in awe that we were all in the same age and we'd really had not seen this before, and we were all very supportive. and she was so happy. you know, excuse me, sometimes the question would come up, um, if your if your boyfriend or husband approved, but they were like, just do it. You know what I mean? Embrace yourself who you are outside of someone else's approval. And that energy I wanted to also capture in a book for a little girl um, because I believe that when you accept yourself at a young age, you really open up the world of possibility for yourself. Um, It it just by leaps and bounds, you know. So um, all my knowledge as a designer and an artist for 10 plus years and that energy of seeing women embrace themselves and the joy that came on their face, Um, I felt I had to capture that. It almost felt like you have to do this because I think I had the idea several times. I was like, no, I'm just I'm going to stay at my quote unquote luxury job. And I'm just, you know, and but the uh, what the life that it sparked within me, it made me know that I had to do that. And so now what is next for you? What can readers
2: look forward to next?
1: Um, people can look forward I am writing several of the books obviously I can't talk about them but um, I'm writing some and I'm working with some other people I also created a children's cartoon um, a trailer a book trailer did you did I send that to you yeah a book trailer for a uh, happy hair that um, I've always had the initiate or the dream to have happy hair be a cartoon so I just Created it myself with another woman, um, and also bring in more women into animation. Um, and then um, I have a book event um, coming up this Sunday at Little Shop of Star Stories um, on the tenth. And then next year I'm going to be in Miami for a trade uh, book show. But you have another um, hair
2: book. Am, is this correct? It's geared to boys that's coming out? Yes,
1: absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe I forgot. Hey, cool Cuts. Yes, Cool Cuts is coming out. And um, during the process of uh, selling happy hair, a uh, lots of moms and fathers came and talked to me and they said, you know, I need this for my son. Because I think, honestly, it's a little bit more even critical for boys because they're not probably as groomed to speak about such things of insecurity in your hair or not loving your hair as much um and i think a lot of boys and men struggle with that and um cool cuts is an uh, homage to that and just an empowering book that speaks to some of the same things girls can um want to feel empowered and loved by okay and that's going to be spring that's going to be february
2: 2020 around around valentine's okay well this has been wonderful mccall i appreciate you coming by to talk with us at Access Atlanta Podcast and just in case you want to check out the book you will also have an opportunity to speak with McCall she is going to be at Little Shop of Stories this coming Sunday in Decatur on November the 10th so and it's 2 o'clock 2 2 p.m. PM. so yeah McCall thank you thank you Thank you very much. And thank you, Atlanta, for listening to the AJC Access Atlanta podcast. See you next time.
0: Let's see what's happening in and around Atlanta over the next 10 days. The inaugural ATL Live Concert Series at Mercedes-Benz Stadium will take place at the home of the Atlanta Falcons and Atlanta United on November 15th and 17th, bringing some of country's biggest stars to Atlanta. On November 15th, Keith Urban, Blake Shelton, Sam Hunt, Sugarland, Judah and the Lion, and Cale Dodds will fill the building, while Eric Church, Luke Combs, and the Brothers Osborne play November 17th. A portion of the proceeds from the concerts will benefit the Johnny Mac Soldiers Fund, which provides scholarships to veterans and military family members. It will also benefit Quest Community Development Organization, whose mission is to develop affordable housing and provide community services to underserved individuals and families. The series is being produced by Arthur Blank's AMB Sports and Entertainment, with support from the Arthur Blank Foundation. The remaining tickets for the November 15th concert run from $39 to $199, and for the November 17th show, they're $49 to $279. ATL Live is at Mercedes-Benz Stadium November 15th and 17th at 5 p.m. each day. Go to mercedesbenzstadium.com for tickets and more info on the shows. A focus on healthier plant-based eating is in store for visitors to Atlanta Veg Fest happening on November 9th at Infinity Energy Center in Duluth. The event begins at 10 a.m. and will feature speakers, food samples, cooking demonstrations, kids' activities, and more than 100 vegan-friendly exhibitors. The first 300 guests will receive goodie bags filled with coupons and free samples from some of the festival's sponsors. The exhibit hall will close at 5 p.m. and the last speaker finishes at 6 p.m. Organizers are asking for a $5 donation, but no one will be turned away for an inability to pay. Atlanta Veg Fest 2019 happens at Infinite Energy Center beginning at 10 a.m. November 9th. Get all the details at atlantavegfest.com. Christmas gets an early start over at Stone Mountain. Beginning on November 16th and continuing through January 5th, the park is alight with Christmas finery. But it's not just the decorations that bring in the crowds. November 16th also marks the opening of Snow Mountain. If you want to play in the snow, Snow Mountain is the perfect place to do it. Why wait for the weather to cooperate? There's always snow at Snow Mountain, which features a 400-foot tubing hill, a play area, and even a special spot for the kids three and younger. Stone Mountain Christmas and Snow Mountain both kick off on November 16th. Parking is $20 or $40 for an annual pass. Tickets to Stone Mountain Christmas start at $29.95. Snow Mountain requires a separate ticket for two-hour tubing sessions and all-day access to the play area. Those tickets start at $34.95, and the attraction continues through February 23rd. Combo packages start at $49.95. It all happens at Stone Mountain Park. For more info, head to StoneMountainPark.com. Stone Mountain isn't the only place to get an early dose of Christmas cheer, though. At Aurora Theater in Lawrenceville, the Troop's annual holiday show, Christmas Canteen, is a musical review with something for everyone. The nostalgic review of classic holiday songs and hits returns to the stage on November 14th and continues through December 23rd. Tickets for the show are $30 to $80, but you'll find some discounted Tuesday matinees for $20 at auroratheater.com. Christmas Canteen runs November 14th through December 23rd at Aurora Theater and